you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. started last week and as planned, we were walking through and talking about uh, how the church creates uh, culture, and I didn't even uh, get part of the way through. Somebody sped up the clock on me, and uh, we ran out of time, and uh, I had to stop before I got to the end of it. So I'm going to pick up where I left off. My goal was to complete that portion last week, and then this week talk about how we as individuals, um, how we uh, how we create uh, a culture around us. And so uh, let's talk about, let's, let's get started and, and see how far we get tonight uh, by the help of the Lord. And uh, if uh, Brother Nick doesn't put that clock back there uh, on, on high speed, maybe I'll get to the James chapter 5, verse number 20 was our key verse last week. Let him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. Last week we talked about how we are developing culture in everything that we do. And several statements that I made last week, and I just, I'm, I'm not going to belabor the point, but just want to hit a few of the highlights that uh, everything that we do in the church is developing culture. So whatever we are doing today, while it may seem insignificant, it is developing a culture that will, that will, if continued, will be, will, will be culture in the next two to three years. So whatever actions or whatever we are doing today becomes the culture of the church in the next two to three years uh, down the road. And so we have to be very careful of what we are doing for any um, extended period of time. Uh, Each and every action 
is the development of a future culture. And so what we tolerate or what we uh, celebrate for a space of time will begin to set the trend for culture in our local church. And so we have to decide as a church what kind of culture are we working uh, toward this church being. And so as we have new people come in to the church, new people, uh, some maybe move in from other churches, some maybe uh, come and are new believers, uh, maybe uh, some are, are youth and our children as they grow up and are developing Christians, everything that is happening through those formidable years, be it through a child or a young person or through a new convert or through a new member as a transfer from another assembly, uh, everything that everything that that we do is speaking when they come what our culture is. And so they learn the culture of the church from who? From us. Because we are establishing the priorities of this is who we are, this is what we do, this is what we believe, and this is where we stand on issues and how we respond to issues. And so um, everything that we do is establishing future culture. And every action is speaking to those who are watching us uh, and following our example. And so that's why we have to be so very careful. The Bible says, let your light so shine toward men. That means to shine in a manner that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. And so if I think that is a key verse for uh, evangelism, soul winning, outreach, and, uh, and personally, how our reputation in the community, let your light shine in a manner that people watch your life and they want to be like you and you ought to be like Christ. So therefore you are leading them not to you, but you are leading them to Christ. For we must be careful or we will try to draw people to us. And this is a very, very fine line to walk as a Christian and particularly as leaders or as leaders of the church that we are creating and setting examples, but we do not want people looking to us as, uh, as, the, uh, as the apex of what they're wanting to, to become. So we must stay hidden behind the cross. That means we must be a reflection of his glory. And so we must always be pointing people to him, not to us, but to him. And so whether it's it's new people or young people or whatever we may be, uh, as we are gathering people, as we may uh, use the social media term, is following, right? And so we, we develop followings. And so we have followers. Leaders have followers. And so we must be careful as people are following us. One writer said, follow me as I follow Christ. But remember, he put Christ there in the center of it all. We must be very careful that we are not developing disciples or an attempt to uh, to control or create a downline, but rather we should be trying to be an example to people in our community, in our world, to our family, that we may be a representative of Christ and say, follow me as I'm following Christ, but don't look to me. I can't heal you. I can't save you. 
I am faulty, I am, a, I am human, I am flesh, but I can tell you about one that is faithful. I can tell you about one that is true. And so that must be our desire as we are leading people to Christ. So last week, we talked about our culture of holiness and how our culture of holiness and separation from the world speaks. And this is uh, paramount for uh, Bible doctrine. The Bible is full of teachings on holiness and separation from the world. And so we understand that, meaning that we are not like the world. We come out from among the world, and we are to be a separate people. But how we approach holiness must be um, must be from a point of humility and not from a point of pride or arrogance. That means that as we develop our holiness, our holiness, whether it be an attitude and spirit or whether it be of outward holiness, of dress, and all of the things that we teach and preach as a church, uh, to be holiness, we often uh, may refer to them as holiness or guidelines. All of these things, our holiness is as filthy rags in comparison to His holiness. So there's none of us truly that are holy. The only real holy one is God. And so as we are trying to become Christ-like, we are trying to please Him. And so in our holiness, our holiness is not about, look at me, I have everything right. I look the part and I have it all right. Uh, look at me, look how, listen to me, listen to how I speak, listen to what I say, listen to what I do, uh, how many hours that I pray every week and how much I fast and how much I give in the offering and all of these things are all part of my holiness. That is but filthy rags in comparison to God's holiness. And so therefore as Christians we are Christ-like and so we are attempting to be Christ-like, and so we are in pursuit of that, but we will never reach the point of being an equal with God. Our holiness will never get us as an equal with God, and so we must develop holiness because the Bible says that without holiness, no man would see the Lord, and so therefore, as we are pursuing holiness and Christ-likeness and God-likeness or godliness, righteousness or right living, all of these things that are attached to holiness, as we are striving for these things, we must understand that not everybody that may be walking alongside us is at the same point in their journey with Christ as we are. So we must be careful in how that our culture of holiness speaks, and that is that we do not become exclusive. I'm going to let that set in for a minute. Being careful that as a holiness believer, in which we are a holiness church, and we, and we don't, we don't uh, try to hide the fact that we are a holiness church. We believe in holiness. But does our holiness come with a measure of grace? That was the key word last week. 
does our holiness come with a measure of grace? Meaning, can we give grace to those that have not yet arrived at the level of holiness that maybe you may feel that you, you have? Do you give grace to those that are in their journey, not where you are in yours? And so can we, does our holiness extend a measure of grace? Maybe there's some things that one may feel that I cannot do or should not do. That is called a conviction. Every one of us should have a conviction. I have convictions that I do not preach nor talk about to you, but they are convictions for me because I feel like I am better off not doing or I am better off doing certain things. But they're not biblical. It's not black and white. It's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not in Scripture. That is called a conviction. If God puts a conviction in your heart, Abide by it. Live by that conviction. Let that conviction be what you stand upon. And But have grace with others who may not have the same conviction that you have. And so this is where our, our holiness, we must be very careful in our holiness. So there's two, two factors that I'm going to speak of. First off is a rigid or dogmatic culture of holiness, and the second is a casual or non-essential attitude toward holiness. Both of those will lead people astray. Because what happens, whether it's a young convert new to Christ, whether it is a transfer from another assembly that may have a different set of standards or beliefs, or whether it is our youth that grow up in the culture of the church, if we have a standard that is missing grace for those who may have failure, for those who may make mistakes, and our holiness is without grace, we become rigid, we become dogmatic, and so then what we do is we become self-righteous. I thank thee, O Lord, that I am not like other men. That was the prayer of the Pharisees. I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like other men. Well, what, what are you like then? It sounds like we're built up in pride and arrogance in who we are instead of coming from a place of humility. Then there is the other side, and it is the slippery slope of, of a sloppy grace that said, oh, you can do anything you want to do anytime you want to do, and he's a gracious God, and his blood covers a multitude of sin. While that is true, the Apostle Paul was so very clear, and he said, what, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That was his words. He said, God forbid. Of course not. We are to come out from among the world. But when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sin. That means there is always grace that is present when we fail to live up to the letter of the law. And so therefore, in our journey with Christ, we must be careful not to get on the, the, the slippery slope of, of nothing really matters and we're casual about holiness and it really doesn't matter and, and it's easy believism. That will lead people astray just as quick 
as a pharisaical dogmatic, if you don't get it right the first time, you're not going to make the city. And so we've got to strike a happy medium somewhere in which I often term it as balance. That balance of making, making holiness a priority in every life. Holiness must be a priority, but with the priority, there also must be the balance of grace for those who may not be like us. The second thing we talked about last week was the component in a growth culture of preparedness. And as an assembly, this is something that speaks so loudly. And while preparedness is not incredibly spiritual, it is more logical than spiritual, yet there are some biblical mandates toward how we are to to approach our preparedness. The Apostle Paul tells the young Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That was a pretty close translation uh, in the King James Version. I, I, I for, for clarity's sake, uh, intentionally used a couple of non-Old English words for, for some that may not be able to comprehend the Old English translation, but understand that what he is saying is there is an obligation to study the Scripture so that we can be prepared to rightly divide the Scripture to know what we believe and why we believe it. Now, should we expect someone that is new to Christ to have the same knowledge and understanding of someone that's been walking with God for 25 years? Of course not. Can someone who maybe has only been studying Scripture for maybe a shorter space of time, should they have the same knowledge and understanding of somebody that maybe has been to Bible college and, and, and sit under great teaching for a very long space of time? Of course not. So everybody is at different levels of understanding. So in our understanding, the issue is pursuit. And so it is the pursuit of the gospel. It is, it is preparing ourselves. And so if I could say it, I'll borrow from a, a, a very famous speaker in our, in our world right now. It is being excellent where you are. Being excellent in your season. We're all in different seasons. And so being excellent in your season. Are we studying? Are we working? Are we striving? Are we preparing? Are we doing our best? And so in all things, be it biblical, be it, be it understanding the scripture, or whether we are prepared as a building or as a church. We talk a lot about church growth, revival, evangelism. We, we have a growing church. We have seen growth throughout the years. And so growth becomes part of our culture. It is a growth culture. Thus, the, the very foundation of this uh, Bible study that I have been on now, this being my second week. So we must be prepared for the growth that God is sending us. 
So if God is sending souls, we must be thinking ahead of how do we assimilate new members? How do we teach them and grow? How do we create disciples, as the Bible says? How do we teach them? How do we develop them? How do we get them on board? How do we make them part of who we are? And so this component of preparedness is so, so vitally important. We are so much further down the road now than we were 10 years ago. And that is so, thankfully, one, we have an incredible building. We have places for people to park now. We have seats for people to sit in without being all crammed up into a building that seats 200 with over 200 in the building. And so a parking lot with 100 parking spaces and some having to having to park off campus to be able to get there. So that level of preparedness, we believe God sent a revival, so we are preparing. And so we are, we are preparing for what is coming. And so we've prepared seats, we've prepared parking places, but we also are preparing ministries. Thus, uh, over the last 10 years, we have developed our Bible studies and we have developed small groups and places for people to find inroads into the church. There's interest groups, there is Bible study groups, there are individual one-on-one Bible studies. All of these things are all part of a growth culture that is moving our church forward. So if you ever ask, why in the world do we do so much in our church? It seems like we're always busy. It seems like people are always working. We are. What we are doing is constantly preparing for the next guest that walks in. That's what we're doing. We're preparing for the next person that says, hey, I'm going to go to church. And when they walk in, we're like, hey, we were expecting you. Hey, we've got a place for you. We've got a seat for you, a parking place for you, and even a ministry for you. And so this is what we are working toward. This is the culture of the church. And so our preparedness speaks. The third level of preparedness, the, the third level of um, in our growth culture, the third thing that I want to bring to you uh, and we talked about last week is our commitment to ministry involvement. And so um, everybody should be giving back in some way. So we're not a we're not a church of takers, we're a church of givers. And so therefore we're not here only to we we do receive. I hope you receive every time a song is sung, every time a sermon is preached or a lesson is taught, I hope you are receiving. But church is not just about coming and receiving. It is also about giving back. And so we should look for places that we can too be part. This is the culture of our church. Everybody should be giving back. Everybody should be involved in some place where you are giving back of your time, of your talents, and of your treasure. And so everybody's giving back. Not one person is supporting the church financially. We all participate together. That's the culture. That's the biblical culture. So we give so that we can be part of what God is doing. If we have a talent, if we have a gift, we participate. We, we 
do what we can. Maybe somebody is a good cook, and so you want to be part of a care ministry, and you are helping to prepare meals for another family that may be sick or having surgery or a baby being born or tragedy in their life, and so uh, you don't want me on that team. All right, you want my wife on that team. She's a good cook. Look at me. That's how I got this way. Genetics had very little to do with it. And so maybe for somebody else, their gift may be something, there may be a different gift. And so according to our abilities, our talents, our God-given talents, we ought to be involved in ministry in some way of ministering back, of giving back, and this is the culture of this church. Everybody that comes ought to be, as soon as someone gets on board, we as a church are looking for, hey, we want you to be involved. Find a spot. Look for a spot. Look for an opening. Look for an open door to where you can be involved in giving back. That is the culture of the church. That culture speaks when somebody walks in and they're from the outside and they've never been here and they come in and they, they look at people and they talk to people and, uh, and, and they're like, wow, man, everybody's involved in some way. This isn't just uh, the pastor's church or just two or three people that make this church move, but we as a whole move this church forward. This is God's church but we are his workmen. One is the hand, one is the feet. And can the, can the eye say to the ear that I don't have need of these? So whatever role that we play in the church, it is very and vitally important. And so therefore, we ought to be able to greet one another. In, if, if, we're, if, if there's somebody in the church that you don't know or you don't know well, you ought to be able to go up to them and ask them. This is the culture that we are working toward creating. We ought to be able to walk up to someone in the church and say, how is your ministry going? What are you involved in in the church? What are you doing in the church? Every one of us ought to be able to have an answer to that. If not, we ought to be looking for an opportunity to be part of that. And we are being proactive in our leadership. I was rejoicing at some of the some of the, the, the reports that come last week, I think it was, um, maybe it was even last Wednesday, Sister Chelsea made a statement to me about the platform. Was it last Wednesday maybe? And she said the average age of the platform tonight is, I think she said something like 27. I'm like, wow, I'm really old. And I turned to her and I said, that's about to change when I walk on that platform. And I thought, how neat that is. How neat that is alone. And I, I hear reports. There's we, we, we mentioned district conference that is going on uh, this, this week on Friday and Saturday at Liberty Tabernacle in Whiteman. A couple of years ago, we were blessed to, to host district conference at this time of the year. And it was a lot of work for, for some. And some said, if you ever host it again, I'm leaving the church. I want to be part of it. And I hope you were only kidding. But I, I think we had somewhere well over 100 people that volunteered, people that took off work to come and be part of that event where we were hosting.
hosted about 450 ministers and wives that came in from all around the state with our national uh, headquarters representatives coming here to little old Frankfurt. And here we are, Christian Life Church. Who would have ever thought and believed? And here we are, and we are blessing them, and we are serving them, and we are feeding them. Thus the Bible said, if we give a cup of water in the name of Jesus, Maybe somebody was holding the door. I, I want to be, if I could just be the doorman to the house of the Lord. And so what a blessing to be able to, to, to uh, honor those that were coming. That, that, was, that was a great highlight for our church and a great blessing. But there should be a place for everybody. And ministry involvement must be the culture that we are promoting we should never be, hey, I've got all my people. I don't need anybody else. I get really worried in any ministry when people are like, no, my four and no more. I don't need, I don't work with nobody else. This is the only people that I work with. That's not the culture of this church. The culture of this church is inclusive. You want to be part? Come on in. Come on in. You can be part. We welcome you. We want you to be part. And so that is the culture of this church. And the fourth area that we closed speaking about last week was the culture of prayer. And our culture of prayer, I rushed over some of this last week, and so I wanted to slow down and take time now that I recognize this is going to be a multi-week series. And so we talked about the culture of prayer and the importance of the culture of prayer. We must be known as a praying church. I don't want people to come here and say, hey, this is the church that you come to because they have good food. That's wonderful. If people come here, oh, I'm telling you, we had a work day last Saturday, and those ladies, they whipped up something. I don't know. It, it had to be unhealthy. It tastes too good to be healthy. And we had lunch for about 25 volunteers that were around here, and it was just excellent. And that was that was worthwhile. I mean, if men in this community knew that they were going to get to eat like that, we, we would have had more people than we had jobs for. But I don't want this church to be known as a church with good food. We have excellent music and worship. I thought tonight as our worship team, Sister Ashley was leading and, and the music was going and the worship team, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm listening, and I thought, how many churches around the country would love to have music as good as we have on Wednesday night, but they would love to have that uh, on their very best revival service of the year. See, we're incredibly blessed. And sometimes we take it for granted because it's every week and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, whatever. We, we have extreme high levels of talent in this church. And that's such an incredible blessing. Uh, and, and we must never take it for granted. But I don't want to be known as the music church. We need to be known as a praying church. If people in this community need prayer, I don't want them to go to the church down the street. I want them to say, hey, I'm coming here. I, I, I had somebody say this week, there's something about, and they, they, they made a social media post, and, and they're a, they're a non-apostolic person, but they, this is what they said. Wow, there is something about an apostolic Pentecostal when they pray together. And I thought, what a testimony. That's the testimony that I want for this church. If people need prayer, I want them to feel this is where to go. This is where we come. And so our prayer culture is so very important. That's why it's important for us to pray at home. I'm just going to hold on for a minute. 
we've got to conquer the battle of prayer. Prayer, prayer is like any other thing that it's, it's, it is, it, the moment that you let off a of prayer, prayer will diminish. You have to be, you have to be disciplined with prayer. Everybody has to be disciplined with prayer. Prayer requires discipline. We, to get up early and pray or stay up late and pray or make prayer a priority and not giving God what's left over. I know we're all to pray without ceasing, but we must make prayer a priority and say, this is my prayer time and nothing else is getting in the way. And when it comes altar time and we, we come around the front, we ought to never come around the front with, oh, yeah, here we go again, another call to come to the front. That is prayer time. We ought to come forward and say, this is time for us. That ought to be the culture of this church. When we close service, we come forward and we pray. And it doesn't matter how good, how much I've enjoyed what's been said or preached or how much I enjoyed the music or worship or if it was hallelujah or oh me with what I received tonight. I want to come forward and say, this is time to pray and say, God, I want to be in right relationship with you. And so our prayer culture is so very important. So tonight, after 30 minutes, we pick up with the the fifth area, and that is the culture of evangelism. Now, I think we, we, as a movement, and I say movement because I think it's greater than an organization that we may be part of, but in a growth culture, evangelism, it cannot be a department. If evangelism is a department, then we've missed the whole idea. It must be the culture. So I, I want to take a little time with this because evangelism must be the culture. That means we, whatever we do, it doesn't matter what ministry that you're part of, it is part of the evangelism culture. So we may have, we may put together evangelistic teams that may go out to the community, maybe go to the hot dog festival and set up a booth and they're there on purpose and they're there doing outreach and church promotion and, and we may promote on social media and our website and use our sign and we may do mail, mailers and, and, and we, we may do broadcast all sorts of literature and all, all of those are evangelistic thrust, wonderful and good. But the culture of our church should be everybody is an evangelist. Everybody is involved in evangelism. And every ministry is an evangelism ministry. It doesn't matter what it is. We look for an opportunity or we look for a way. The ladies department did such an excellent job several months ago back, uh, I think it was before Christmas, had an event and uh, out at Dole's Tree Farm. And uh, I was blessed to be able to go be part of the setup and the cleanup. And uh, I, I went out there but, uh, and, and helped set everything up, and, and several of us guys went out there and helped, helped pick everything up to bring it all back. But the ladies did such an amazing job because the event that they had was for our local church. Everybody enjoyed it, but they, the, 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 the crowd, there must have been, it must have been one for one for who was members of the church and who was just people from the community that were non-members. See, that's called evangelism, right? Because what we're doing is we are letting them know, hey, what we have and what we're doing is not caught within the four walls of this church. 
we'll go do an event at Dole's Tree Farm because you may not feel comfortable coming here. If you'll feel comfortable coming there, we'll go do the event there just so you can see that we're lovable people, we're real people, and we love you and we care about you. And so these type events, regardless what it is that we do, every ministry, our family life ministry, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Somebody says, oh, well, you know, it's just another, it's just a ball game or it's just a, no, it's an opportunity to be able to connect with somebody, get around them, associate with them in their area of interest. It's just a large scale of a small group. And so that's what we are doing in every in every aspect, in every ministry. Our music ministry, it, they lead us into the presence of God, but they are an evangelism ministry. That means what they are doing is not just for you to say, wow, I like that, I like that note, I like that chord, I love seeing that kind of talent. It's wonderful if you like all of that. I do, I love it, I love every bit of it. But it ought to be that we are trying to create an environment to touch the hearts of a person that may walk in and only give us one shot. And so everything we do, so evangelism is not a ministry. It is the purpose for which the church exists. Now, I hope that doesn't strike some of you wrong, but the church does not exist to babysit. That's not our purpose. We're here to reach the world. That's why the church was in existence. Yes, the byproduct of that is, is we have community. We have one another. My closest friends are right here in this church. People that I trust the most are right here in this church. People that I give my life to are right here in this church. If you have a need and I can help you, I'm there for you. I, that, that's how we are. We are a church. But the purpose of the church is to reach people that me and you haven't even met yet. I haven't had an opportunity to love them. I may love you and care about you, and I'm here for you, and I'll do, but we're existing together. We're together to reach the world because that was the purpose of the church, to evangelize the world. And so here we are loving our church, bragging on our church, talking about how good our church is and enjoying services and enjoying the evangelist that comes through and, and enjoying our events. And this is all wonderful, but the purpose is to reach the lost. In the meantime, we stay saved and saved. So the way we treat our guests communicates. That's why everything that we do here, if it's wintertime, we have snow and ice. We have people here, and they're cleaning the lot and shoveling the sidewalks and opening the doors and parking, even offering to valet park cars for our elderly or our ladies that may arrive or people that may be handicapped or need assistance. And, and what, why are we doing this? We, we've never met them. We, we don't know them. They're not a member here. No, but they're a soul, and we're trying to let them know that we love them because before they come in, I'm going to let you respond before I say this because before they come in and they hear the preaching and they find out how much we know, before they ever get to understanding how much we know, we want them to know how much we care. Because when they know how much we care, then they will come in and say, now let me find out what you know 
But if they don't feel care, our no will do very little. We can be very, very knowledgeable in the, of the Bible, but have no love one for another, and we've missed the whole thing. And evangelism will never work. And as a church, we are becoming a multi-ethnic church. I love that. If you were here Sunday night and they broke into that one song, and I loved it. Part English, part Spanish. I loved it. And so we're becoming a multi-ethnic church. And so people say, well, isn't it multicultural? We have to be very careful with that term in these days. Okay? I'm okay using it. I'm not, I'm not hitting anybody for using it. We just have to be very careful because right now there's all kind of cultures in this world. And so if we start trying to cater to cultures, then, then we're missing the real point because the deal is this is the kingdom of God. It's his culture. So we all come from different walks of life, but the culture that we're creating is a culture that's only found in the Scripture by the Word of God. And so it's His culture. So we're not multicultural. We come from different cultures. We welcome different cultures, and we welcome them to join into the culture of Christ. That's what we're doing. But we're multi-ethnic, and that means we understand ethnic backgrounds, different language groups, people from different parts of the world. It was a wake-up call for my wife and I who fell madly in love as just mere kids in, in college, and we had no idea the cultural differences between a 1,000 miles. Being from the deep south in East Texas on the Louisiana border of the Gulf Coast to a Midwestern girl in a farming community in the cold of winter. And we loved one another, but we didn't understand one another. There were certain things that I said, I'll never forget someone leaving the church and me being so hurt over them leaving the church. Somebody came and shared with me something that was very deep. It was very, very, it, it, was, it was very deep. And when they spoke this thing that they shared with me, which I can't share with you tonight, but when they shared something very deep with me, I had expected that was probably the case. And so when they said that, my response to them was, I figured as much. I didn't know that that was going to be offensive. Because where I came from, that would not have been offensive. That was just another way of saying that my intuition had spoke to me, and by my estimate, I thought that was probably the case. But I didn't go through. I just cut through and just said, I figured as much. They felt that I had spoken something completely different. They felt that I meant no big deal, that I just figured that was the case because I expected that out of them. And so my language to their ear was completely different. And so I had to learn to be very careful with my words. Because words do mean a lot. And so in marrying a Midwestern girl, our cultures, our family cultures were different. She didn't understand my family, and I didn't understand hers. See? 
things my family would do, she thought was rude. Things her family did, they thought was funny, I thought was rude. And it created cultural differences in our marriage. And we had to learn this. As a church, we have come a long way in understanding the different ethnic backgrounds in different cultures. We all come from a different background. There is there are different, not only different ethnic backgrounds in this church, there's different social backgrounds in this church. There is different economic backgrounds in this church. There were some of us raised very, very poor and some raised not quite so poor. I don't know that we have any rich folks. If we do, make yourself known. We're going to talk. We have, we're in a building project and we're over budget. We need a blessing here. And so, in being a multi-ethnic church, we are learning to give room and give grace to different, different cultural activities, different cultural ways. If an Asian came in to greet you, you put out your hand, they put their hands together and bowed. Would you be offended? course not, because we're beyond that as a church, right? We're talking about cultural differences. So we have to make room for these cultures. So we welcome all cultures to unify to the culture of Christ. This is a growth culture, the growth culture, and I love it. I love what I'm seeing and experiencing in the church. We haven't always been here. We've been through some seasons, and also we've allowed certain things that have happened across the world to even affect us and things that have happened locally to affect us. And so we've become sensitive of other cultures, and we have, I believe that God has helped us break the back of that. And when I look up and I see different cultures worshiping together and praying together and loving one another together, this is, you know what heaven's going to be like? There's going to be Asians and Africans and Germans and Russians and Americans. There's going to be every creed and color, but we're all going to be one culture, and that is the culture of Christ. And so, therefore, it's not about celebrating culture, so I have to be careful. We're, we're, not, we're not here to celebrate culture. We're here to celebrate his culture, and that is the kingdom of Christ. The sixth thing that stands out in a growth culture is atmosphere. And I'll, I'll, I'll probably end here tonight and, and I'll save the, the next whole step in this lesson. But I'm going to talk about how, how we personally shape our culture. And that is the culture, who, who people know us as. And the culture around us, the people that we personally attract. And so tonight we're going to talk about the sixth growth culture. And that is the culture of atmosphere. Atmosphere. So, some may not understand what what is. Why do we do some of the things that we do? There's atmosphere. Atmosphere does speak. Now, I see this more now and understand this more now. 
if I'm meeting with some people, there's some facilities that I do not want to meet with because the atmosphere that day was just odd. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's awkward. And so atmosphere is so very important. So when we come in to the house of the Lord and we begin to sing and we begin to worship, you know what we are doing? We are creating an atmosphere, right? That is the purpose. We, we're giving praise and worship unto the Lord. It is important that we worship him in spirit and truth. We come in, all of everything we do is biblical with our praise and worship. We are singing and playing instruments and we are clapping and we are jumping and we are bowing and we are waving our hands and we are raising our hands and we are bowing down and we are shouting and, and we are dancing and we are, all of these things are all different biblical, that's all biblical and we can go through and I don't have time to get into all of that with you tonight. Hopefully um, we can get into that another time for those that may not understand everything about that culture. Of, of this church in our praise and our worship. But what we are doing is creating an atmosphere. And the atmosphere is the atmosphere for God to be able to move. So we're creating an atmosphere of faith, hope, an atmosphere of participation. So that's why if, if, you, if you listen even tonight, Sister Ashley says, oh, come on and sing with me. Join with me. Clap your hands or lift your hands. You know why she's doing that? She's trying to promote. Now you've been at work all week, all, all week, and you're tired, and you've been there all day, and you come in. And if 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 we're not careful, we'll come in and sit down and say, Woo, this pew sure feels comfortable right now. Somebody told me one time the only rest I ever get is when I come to church. Not in this church. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. All right, we're going to stand. Let's lift our hands. Let's clap. We keep you working. But what we are doing is we're trying to say it's okay for you to be able to feel freedom. We want you to feel freedom of worship. It's part of the atmosphere because in that atmosphere that we are creating, everything's atmosphere, right? So from the time you turn in the driveway, it's atmosphere. I love that line, Brother Phil. We've got that front yard looking really nice. Brother Dan keeps those islands out there looking good. We try to keep the weeds down. Try to, we're working on that north building, trying to get that thing cleaned up. It's been an eyesore and a bug in me for a long time. So we're trying to, everything, when you, it's all atmosphere. This place is clean. Our cleaning people come. This place, it feels good. We, we want it to be warm enough and, and, and cool enough, but not too hot and not too cold. We want to please everybody, and that's impossible. But we're creating atmosphere. Everything is about atmosphere. And so we're working toward atmosphere, but our praise and worship is creating a spiritual atmosphere. And it is an atmosphere of faith of participation, and when that song ministers to you, that's why we, when we come in, it ought to not be, let's see, I'm, I'm judging this and I'm judging that. It ought to be, this is an opportunity for me to disengage from home, disengage from my schedule, disengage from everything. Let me get tuned into what God is saying. Let me worship him in this song. Let me lift my hands, lift my voice, participate. And in this atmosphere, I am opening my heart, opening my spirit for God to be able to minister to me. And so we draw from it. So 
thus our response to preaching. That's all cultural, right? We can have a church that is non-responsive to preaching, meaning that we sit and we just hardly say amen, or we can have a church that responds to preaching with strong amen, with hand claps, with agreements, of standing and ovation, all of that. You know what that does? That inspires the preacher to preach. You want a preacher to preach better? Respond. The more you respond, the better the preacher preaches. It's just that way. It just happens because he feels a connection. And so in that connection, inspiration comes. So teaching deals with the intellect. Preaching deals with the spirit. And it is inspirational. And so therefore in teaching, there is a connection to the, the to, to to understanding. With preaching, it, there is a dialogue, a call and response. And so our response to preaching and teaching both speak and it is atmosphere. And so when people come in, I don't I, I don't like I've been to some churches. God bless them. But you know, they're knocking holes in walls and that's a little too much. I <laughs> I ought to not even go here. This is real dangerous for me to do so. I, I don't Lord, I don't want to offend anybody. You know my heart. say, if anybody feels that, that you need a rattlesnake to worship God, I'm out of here. And I'm gone. I don't like snakes. Ain't worshiping God with spiders nor snakes. Nor scorpions. Right? None of the above. I want, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't like that. How in the world is somebody going to come from off the street, walk in the doors of our church, feel safe and feel comfortable and feel like, and I've been to some apostolic churches that sometimes I've been to churches that are so dead and dry, you would not know it was a building in an apostolic church. They didn't, they didn't say, they hardly would say an amen, much less stand and clap and worship and shout to the Lord. I want to be part of a worshiping church. I want a church that's alive. I want a church that is alive. You know what the scripture says about that? The letter killeth. Teaching kills. The letter will kill. If all you ever get is teaching, it will eventually run, it'll, it'll, it'll take the very life out of you. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And so therefore it is important that we have a balance of the word and of the spirit. And so that balance, if you if you feel like that you've got to come in here in every service, you've got to make laps and, and you'd have a hard time swinging from chandeliers in here, but um, that's an old saying that I guess in my growing up years it would say swing from chandeliers. Dylan talked the other night about uh, Delphi Avenue. We had banners up and people made laps and knocked some banners down. Uh, if you've got to feel like you got to knock a banner down to say you had church, uh, you've missed the whole point. But I also don't want to be part of a church that judges somebody when they feel like they need to make a lap. If somebody feels like they need to dance before the Lord with all their might, get out in the aisle and dance with all of your might. 
No judgment here. I want you to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so we're creating an atmosphere. And then we also, in, in atmosphere, and I'm, I'm quickly closing, we have to be careful about distractions. In the very design and building of this building, of course, most of you know that this was initially built as a gymnasium. And the plan was for this to be a, a gym and fellowship hall. And another phase would be a sanctuary. And that's the long term. But right now, this is what we have. And so our small foyer has people entering in at the front of the building. And that can be awkward, particularly with church going on. And the back entry is not overly welcoming, and that meaning it's not open or inviting. And so by design, that, that, can, be, that can be a bit of a concern. And somebody, those of you that are wealthy that I talked about earlier, we build a building if you want to go in that direction. And so we have to be careful to minimize distractions. I don't want people to not come in. But sometimes we can be a distraction. We can be in the church services and be a distraction. We can, we can be carrying on conversations with somebody and, and, and it's distracting. I remember in the old building one Sunday I was up preaching and we had just started our common grounds and we had coffee. And one sweet lady put coffee in her purse and we had asked for them not to bring it in the sanctuary there. We had, we had carpet on the floor and it was a battle that we were fighting. And so she wanted to bring her, co her coffee in, so she got her coffee, and she put her coffee in her purse. And while I was preaching, instead of her sipping her coffee, she turned the whole purse up. Talk about distracting the preacher. I'm like, what is she doing with that purse? She's drinking her purse. I know kids are going to kids I would rather I would rather parents be here with kids than stay home because their kids make noise but we have to be careful of distractions if you know you got to walk out 18 times don't sit on the front row so we have to be careful of distractions because all of this is creating atmosphere and so it may be somebody that came and they're locked in and they're receiving, but all of a sudden somebody starts playing with a baby in the front of the building, laughing and carrying on. And, oh, look how cute. The baby's sweet and cute, but there's somebody's eternal soul at stake sitting right behind them. And so we got to be careful with the atmosphere that we're creating. What is it? Is it too casual? I walked in tonight, Kevin Spangler said, wow, black suit. I hadn't seen you in a black suit. I'm dressed up for Wednesday night. Black suit. I'm taking a picture after church. Thank you. Doesn't matter to me whether you wear a tie or don't wear a tie. That's not, that's not, that's your preference. That's, but I don't want to come in here and be so casual, kick back, propping my feet up on the pew in front of me, relaxing. I don't want that kind of atmosphere in the house of the Lord. I want to come in and be attentive to worship, attentive to prayer. I'm not here to sleep. I'm here to worship. 
I'm here to I'm here to receive from God. And so the atmosphere that we are creating with our attentiveness, with with minimizing distractions, all of these things are are speaking and it is all shaping culture. I've been to churches before that were full of distractions, people walking in and out all during the preaching. People just this chaos all and I've often thought, I wonder who decided that that was okay. Because somewhere down the road, somebody decided that was okay. And so they did it. And somebody else saw them do it and thought, that's okay. And so then two people did it and somebody else said, well, that must be what we do around here. And so then new people came to the church that had never been there before and thought, oh, I saw them walking in and out all during the preaching and going to, get in the, going to the water fountain and coming back in. Somebody jumping out and doing some push-ups in the middle of the floor while the preacher's preaching. Jump back up. I, that must be all right in this church. That must be. See, that's how culture's created. So you are deciding what kind of culture Because if God is not exalted and his name is not magnified, we have missed the whole point of worship. And if his word is not explained and not opened and understood, and if we are not getting the word of God and an understanding of scripture in what we are doing, there are souls that will be eternally lost. And so any one of us, as our text has already described, any one of us who reaches and pulls somebody out of the flames of hell, when we when we reach a soul, when we when we have done, when we have affected a soul, then we have pulled a soul on the next level. I close with this. One of the presidents was walking through NASA as a young chief entomologist. He walked by and introduced himself and said, "Sir, I'm the president of the United States, and your name is." And he told him what his name is, and he says, "What is? What are you doing here?" Of course, the man was sweeping, but the man's response went down in the biography of the president of the United States as he said, sir, I am putting a man on the moon. What he was really doing was sweeping a floor, but he understood that by sweeping a floor, that he, he somebody had to sweep the floor that the man was going to get on the moon. If souls are going to be saved, somebody is going to have to be faithful. Somebody's got to pray. Somebody's got to work. Somebody's got to give. Some got to, whatever you are doing in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus because it's all about the saving of a soul. And so when an evangelist comes in and preaches the powerful message and people flock to the altar and people are being baptized and people are being filled with the Holy Ghost, you want to know why the church ought to celebrate like there's no tomorrow? Because whatever you have done, whether you have been cleaning a toilet or mowing grass or ushering or teaching, whatever you're doing, you had part in that soul coming to the knowledge of truth because that is the culture of the kingdom. Some plan and some water, but God gives the increase. I'm glad to be part of a church like that today.
Let's stand together tonight. Would you lift your hands toward heaven and just ask the Lord, God, let me, let me be part. Show me. if I'm, if I'm, God, if I don't already know where I'm supposed to be, show me where I am fitting in the kingdom of God. Lord, let us create, Lord, let this church, let this church create a culture of evangelism and revival and harvest and growth, of prayer, O oh Lord, of worship. Lord, let there be an atmosphere of praise in this house. Lord, I pray tonight for every person that has come on this Wednesday night and subjected themselves to my dreary teaching, Lord. I pray that your word somehow has inspired them. And Lord, that your word has spoken to them tonight. And Lord, that there's growth in every one of us. For your